episode 301 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Sunday, January 24th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how's it going? Uh, it is going well now that the uh, the Jonas is out of Charlotte. We actually did say, have. We actually, you know, for us, it wasn't too bad. Uh, we had probably about four to five inches. Okay. Uh, and now it's to the point where it's melting during the day and then freezing at night. So the roads are a little sloppy in the morning. But the kids had a blast. Uh, we do, did some sledding. We live up on the top of it, uh, a hill so that we can push them down the road. So we had a few runs going here in the neighborhood. Um, and kids enjoy it. And uh, they got school off Friday, but their teacher work day that Monday is now a student day because they they took out the last couple of years. They, they've had uh, the weather hasn't been as bad. So they took out the emergency days. Oh, then this year they had to change the schedule around. So the teachers lost their work day. Um, <sighs> they had planned activities. And now my kids have to go to school tomorrow. Oh, well, that sucks for them. But at least they got a Friday off. A three-day weekend oh, yeah. when you get the Friday off. That's pretty good. But and they didn't guess... call it – here's the thing. They didn't call it till like 6.30 at night. And meanwhile, the governor had already declared a state of emergency. American Airlines had already said they were not flying on Friday morning. When I, I was coming back from Boston Thursday night, so I get into the airport, and I'm walking through the Delta area. And they said, if anybody would like to stay two extra nights, we will put you up. And I was like – Damn! <laughs> I mean, two they were getting ready to roll two extra nights. You uh, usually hear this. the one night, the one yeah, night offer, was, not the two. It was uh, the roads were rather empty on Friday uh, with everything going on. I'm glad they canceled school, but I just don't understand waiting so long. It was so obvious what this was going to be like, um, and you know they did it and it worked. But I'm I'm thankful I don't live in the Northeast. I've seen oh, some of those pictures today. Brutal. Wow. Brutal, brutal stuff. You know that I hate it. I can't. I can only deal with it from afar. Some of the pictures are are nice snowy landscapes, and the only reason I can enjoy them is because I'm nowhere near them, and I appreciate that. It's been a little bit cold here, but nothing compared to what's going on in the Northeast. So obviously, stay safe out there, folks. Hopefully, you're hanging around with your power on, listening to us. You can also follow us on Twitter. I am at Sporer. Jason is at Jason Collette. That's C O L L E T T E. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. You guys have been crushing it with that. I really appreciate that. We're at four, four and a half stars, 256 reviews. I think right. the last time I said it, it was 232. I mean, so to get 24 reviews like that in the span of uh, between episodes, it's great. So I really appreciate you guys yeah. going out there, reviewing, leaving commentary. And, and my favorite one is they said that we figured out the perfect amounts of cursing and nudity. So uh, – and I wasn't true. aware that our webcam was up for this podcast, but hey. Oh, I should have told you that. I'm sorry. But but again, we're mixing it. It's it's the proper amount of nudity. And I, I think that that's a balance that most podcasts can't strike. So we've got that. Uh, we got a big transaction to talk about, but then for the most part, the bulk of our show is going to be talking about the starting pitcher and shortstop ranks that went up at Rotographs uh, in the middle and end of last week. But let's talk about Ioannis Cespedes. It's finally done. We can finally stop hearing about where he might go, um, about the sources on Tinder, which was uh, utterly ridiculous. And frankly, we can finally stop listening to Mets fans, bitch, because, man, they've been crying up a storm about their offseason. And I guess I get it a little bit, but now they got their guy, Ioannis Cespedes, to the, Yan- uh, to the Yankees, to the Mets, three years. Honestly, I think it's a really good win-win deal for both sides. You don't want to go too long on this guy. That's something that we've been talking about, a five-, six-year deal. We weren't really going to like it for Cespedes, so they get a three-year with a one-year opt-out. If he goes and puts together a full season of, of what he did for a half year with them, you know he's going to opt out, and then they can kind of figure it out from there. What do you think full-season value with the Mets looks like for somebody like Joanna Cespedes? 
Yeah, no, no such thing as a bad uh, as a bad one year deal. Uh, and I believe if he opts out, they actually get a pick out of it too. They so will still out. get a pick. So it, it, he's back. He's in the compensation uh, pool for the first time because of that first deal with Oakland precluded him for that. Um, and and so nobody else was getting that pick every time that he was shuffling around these teams. That's probably why they didn't mind trading him because they weren't going to get a pick anyway. But now right. if he does leave, they will get the pick. So like I said, really a win win deal for both sides as far as I can see. Yes, uh, but the thing is, I don't see him getting over 30 home runs again this year. You look at where he was previously, you know, he hit the, the mid-20s each of the three previous years, even with the 2014 with the full season. Last year, he did get to 35, but it was with a home run to fly ball ratio that was 19%, where his career average has been around 13. So, And and he actually hit fewer fly balls. He hit his lowest fly ball percentage last year as well. So wow. a lot of that went right for him. Uh, was that him selling out to try to uh, try to hit the ball further to get this kind of contract? Maybe, but his strikeout rate was right in line with where everything else was. Mm-hmm. It's just the ball went further off his bat than it had in the past. So uh, I have a tough time forecasting the over on the 30 of the home runs, but everything else should be. I'm looking at uh, final line 275, uh, 25, 27 home runs uh, and 85 to 90 runs driven in and run scored. I, I, I got to agree with that. I just I, I don't see much different there. You, you can still draft him because the upside is there. We've seen 35 homers for Cespedes. It is in the cards, but it, I agree with you that it is not the most likely scenario. And like you said, it's not like he sold out for power. The fly balls were actually way down, 10 percentage points from 2014 to 2015. And his pull percentage was 1% less from 45 right. to 44. So he wasn't even selling out. Things were just going really well for him. What I want to know, though, and, and obviously the, the this doesn't directly affect fantasy because most fantasy leagues don't count defense but how much does being a primary center fielder impact him positively or negatively on your end yeah sure how much is it going to wear on him because it is it is the more taxing position of everything he's got to cover everything um i definitely think that comes into play for uh, for him just like it would for you know anything up the middle a second base a shortstop a center fielder and catcher all of those positions are taxing on you more so than playing the corners uh because you you know, the demand of the position and everything, you don't have to range as far if you're playing left or right field in both directions. It's usually one or the other uh, type of thing. And same thing on the corners, uh, so uh, in the infield. So I think that's going to wear on them a little bit as well. It's a good thing this that the, the Mets have this ability to get out of this deal in one year. I wouldn't like 375 if he stays around. Um, the 125, he's motivated to do this. And it's just funny to see them get this deal done when they they were crying poor all winter and then all of a sudden boom and the fans are like oh it's forgiven you know that's you, why you, we never believe teams by the way yeah you and never I ever believe teams. none of these fast. teams are poor not even Oakland not even Tampa Bay none of them are poor and, and remember and, the Mets were the Mets were purchased in 1980 for 21 million dollars they kind of sort of like make a quadruple doubled their <laughs> value since then but yeah 20 million dollars that's unbelievable Unbelievable. Um, yeah, like like I said, we don't take what teams say at face value. You know, Tigers saying that they're done after Zimmerman outside of some small moves. Yeah, right. They go get Upton. You hear it all the time. We're not going to trade player X. Twelve minutes later, he's traded. You just can't listen. And why would they be incentivized to, to telegraph their plan? You know, the Mets don't want to come out and say, yeah, we're definitely major players here and drive the price up and all that. They say, eh, we're 
looking. We'll see if we can get something done. Bam, they get something done. So their outfield is set. Their lineup, uh, you know, keeps Cespedes in there. And if David Wright's healthy, all of a sudden, it's a quality lineup. There's not a ton of star power up and down it in terms of elite offensive talent, but it's a deep lineup. Your eight hitters has Drupal Cabrera, and he's an above average shortstop. You know, Michael Conforto's sitting there at seven. So I think the Mets are going to be good again this year. They've got the great pitching. They've got quality hitting. It's going to work out for them. Solid move all around for both clubs. Let's talk some starting pitchers, though. Starting pitcher ranks went up. We went in kind of a, what I'd say, an unorthodox order, but I did that on purpose. I, I kind of set it up the way that I think the positions kind of matter. You know, everyone kind of does the traditional catcher to reliever uh, when they're when they're releasing ranks. I thought going with outfielder first and then starting pitcher second. Let's get the two big rankings out there and really start focused on them. Um, so the starting pitchers went up on Wednesday. And as we did with the outfielders, Jason, I'm curious, kind of first off your overview, and then we'll get two you like, two you don't. Uh, what's your overview of the position this year uh, as you kind of get set to start doing some drafts? That's deep. I mean, I, there's a lot of names. I'm scrolling down the list looking at something. Like you see Luis Severino down there, 54th overall with the aggregate ranking. Uh, you know, somebody will talk about, I, I like even lower than him, is down at 60. Then you've got Aaron Nola at 63. I mean, there's a lot of pitching depth here. It's, it's uh, this year, ridiculous. conversely, it, it's it's horrible at shortstop. I mean, I, I do not like the shortstop class this year, but the pitching class, you know, I'm looking at the comment that, that, that Brad Johnson made and said, you know, there's I don't discern much difference between number five and number 18 on my list. And it's really tough to argue with that. I mean, there's Jake Arrieta, at the overall five and there's John Lester, at the overall 18 with Archer and Cole and Keuchel, Carrasco. It's just like, wow. I mean, there is. If everybody took if everybody took two starting pitchers in the first six rounds, it used to that'll knock out 24 pitchers. The best pitcher on the list, if you just went chalk with this, there's Liriano, there's Wainwright, there's Gray, there's <laughs> Richards, there's Pineda. It's like, damn, really? <laughs> and yeah, like you said, if you just doled out two to everybody you'd still have those guys there. There really is a measure of depth. And then um, as Brad said, then I echoed, I said, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but it's definitely agree with him that that range, that five to 18, maybe even 19, 20, depending on how you feel about some guys, you can't really get too crazy. I mean, it's a personal preference thing. Maybe, you know, Brad had Dallas Keuchel sixth. I had him 19th, but I don't look at Brad's ranking and say that it's ridiculous. I really don't, even with a big split like that. Now, the difference between six and 19 at a lot of other positions would be massive. But at starting pitcher, I barely blinked when I saw that he had him six. And then a bunch of us had him 19, 18. Uh, Mike had him 14. And then Zach was second highest at 11. All right, let's get into some guys that, that you you like a little bit more than these aggregate rankings let's start with two that you're higher on and then we'll get two that you're lower on who's your first guy that you're higher on than these aggregate rankings i mean we've talked about him a, a number we called him our al cy young winner carlos carrasco if i'm going to say he's my al cy young award winner i'm not going to be comfortable with him being 14th in the aggregate i probably shouldn't have him 13 then at that point uh to your point yet i do i still love him though i really do i'm i'm, I'm just uh, i'm a huge carlos carrasco fan he's so good and I guess the depth of it is, is how he got to 13. I'm a little bit more comfortable with a few other guys. You know what? I will say, though, maybe I got a little bit caught up in kind of uh, ranking to the ADPs a little bit. Like, I, I really wanted to go even lower on Jake Arrieta. Uh, I have him at 11, and uh, I was the only one that even put him in double digits. So maybe I should have been a little bit more convicted 
to what I actually uh, truly believe. But it's the early SP rankings. You know, right. I haven't done all of my studying. So if you guys see Carrasco go up on my list, do not be surprised. Paul Gustavo, one of our newest writers and one of my best friends, uh, has him eighth, and he's the high man on Carrasco. Honestly, I, I, I'll probably wind up very near uh, where Paul K has him as well. Eno wrote a good piece about the best pitches in baseball for ESPN Insider, yep. and it highlighted some of the greatness that is Carrasco and had Dave Schoenfield kind of agreeing with us, saying that that's a that's a great sleeper candidate. Maybe not even a sleeper candidate, just a great candidate for the AL Cy Young. Never really pays to be Carrasco. first. Never, uh, yeah, ever, yeah. ever, ever pays to be first. No, because no, they're not going to remember that we said it, you know. Three weeks ago, uh, everyone else is going to be saying it here in March, and, and and that's all right. We know in our hearts, and our listeners know that we've been saying it. We love Carlos Carrasco. It's not an unpopular opinion to love Carlos Carrasco. Well, three but, above average pitches. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, these are the same points we made at the Arizona Fall League back in November. Three above average pitches. Keeps the ball on the ground. Doesn't walk anybody. Strikeout rate is climbing. Clean you know, the one flaw last year. It, the mechanics are good. The one flaw last year was some gopheritis a little bit, but that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, you know, there's so much, so much to like here uh, with him. And that's why it, at the point that to rehash for people that weren't listening to the podcast back in November, what what I was asked to speak on the pitching panel uh, for the HQ forums is who do you want, Carrasco or Archer? And everybody just assumed I was going to take Archer because I'm the Rays homer. And I said, nope, I want Carrasco. And I, I, I stand behind that. There were some audible gasps when you said it, too, because they had their expectation and you bucked that expectation. And uh, I was right there with you, of course, with, with Carrasco. We were speaking very highly of him on that panel. You look at a 363 ERA and you might be thinking, what's what's the love for? Well, a 107 whip, a 30 percent strikeout rate that yields a 284 fit. Now, you don't have to be married to FIP, but when you see that kind of disparity, you have to jump in and look, and you see the skills across the board for Carrasco, and a very underrated factor that's going to be in play for both him, Kluber, uh, Salazar, Bauer, and who else am I forgetting? Ah, Josh Tomlin, who cares, whatever, fifth starter. Uh, But for that whole lineup, the Francisco Lindor and Giovanni Urshela effect for the full year. Uh, That was a big issue that really hurt them. The, The left side of the infield defense at the beginning of the year, you could see it affecting these guys. Too many hits were getting through. Errors were being made. Plays weren't being turned. And it was hurting somebody, especially somebody like a Carrasco with a 51, 52% ground ball rate. He's going to have Lindor there all year. And even Urshela, definitely a cut, a cut or three below Lindor in terms of defense because Lindor is so good. But having those two is going to pay massive dividends. And Who's if you this? look at that, look before that, though, if you look at the look at his steamer projections, you know, they've got him as a as a. Uh, same wars last year, but the strikeout rate down a tick, the walk rate about the same, everything within line. I read something the other day that Steamer's pitching projections graded out as the best pitching projections for a second consecutive year. So if you're looking at the projections page, that's the reason why we have the Steamer projections down there because they're really damn good. Uh, So that kind of ballparks, if you liked them last year, you're going to like them again this year and everything will be, uh, you know, should be a really good year. He's somebody that I'm going to target in multiple leagues. And uh, again, I'm sticking behind the AL Cy Young. I know I don't have the best track record. Uh, Hutchinson, <laughs> Bailey, and whatever else. Uh, but we'll see what happens this year. You know, and and with the depth of pitching and, and the way it comes down to personal preference, you could get in the, in the right league with the with the other eleven guys and gals, 
and they might not be as high in Carrasco, and you could legitimately get him as like the 20th starter, which would mm-hmm. be utterly ridiculous, but it would be great. Some people are going to see that 363 ERA, and they're going to get a little scared off. Not us, not by a long shot. Who's another Carlos you like? Uh, Rodon. Uh, yes. You look at, I mean, people were so high on him last year coming into it, and then he struggled. And, you know, he didn't get he didn't get enough time in the minor leagues. He got I think he made two starts and I was pissed because I was supposed to go to his last his scheduled outing here in Charlotte. And that's he got right. So his he first start right when you were going to go first. Yes. Uh, and then he worked in relief when he came up too. and then they made him a starter in the fourth game of uh, his fourth game, which was a, a double header on May 9th. And so even with the thing, we look at his numbers, the strikeouts were there for the most part, but he also struggled with his command. I mean, he had multiple games. I'm looking at his game, four walks, six walks, five walks, four walks, six walks. And then towards the end of it, he started to settle down. You look over his last eight starts last year, um, you know, last eight starts, 198 batting average against, uh, you know, the ERA was 181 looked really the walks were there and part of what hurt him is you know he had won a four walk game against Seattle and then the final game of the year he walked five against the Yankees other than that he looked really good down that stretch but he allowed two or fewer earned runs and each of those final eight starts had strikeouts of 11 eight eight uh, so we saw some different things happening there for him um, you can get him at a discount last year I want to say his ADP was higher than the 60th ranked starting pitcher and this is somebody that right now in the aggregate I think he's 60 or 62 uh, 60 yeah. and for me he's a guy that's going to finish in the top 50 he's a, and I can look at him and say he's going to be at least 10 spots higher than where he is in his aggregate and the range for him you know I think you had him at 45 I was the high man, you, yes yeah, two of you guys were below 50, and then somebody else was at 80. Somebody else was at 71. So the aggregate or the the disparity between the rankings and him are kind of all over the place. Um, but again, I th- I'm more in line with the Pauls here as where he's going to end up um, than the others. Yeah, obviously I agree with you because I do have him 15 ranks higher than the aggregate. When you consider, listen, I know that in fantasy baseball we got to be about the bottom line results because that's what's you know, going to make us succeed or fail. And so you look at a 375 ERA and a 144 whip and you say, eh, it wasn't that great. But you talked about it. Didn't get a lot of minor league time, not just last year, ever. He had 34 minor league innings before he was in the majors holding his own for 139 innings with a strikeout per inning for Rodon. The walks are high. We kind of knew that that was going to be the case coming in and it keeps that whip high. But another situation like his AL Central counterparts where the infield defense was utterly wretched and that he's going to benefit first off from Brett Laurie coming in. is a, That's mm-hmm. a big deal. And, uh, I think that that infield defense going to get a little bit better with Todd Frazier and Brett Laurie. That's going to help somebody like Carlos Rodon. All right, so those are two guys that you're higher on. Now we got to be a little bit more negative and get a couple guys that you're lower on. And again, when they're in that upper range, it is a personal preference situation. And some people aren't going to agree, and that's what's going to make the pitching rankings really fascinating and, and kind of the way the drafts play out this year. But give me your first guy that you're a little bit lower on than everybody else. Um, Jake Arrieta, and not because I don't like him. It's just because of how much went right for him last year. I mean, just every done that amazing stretch, and you know, from what July first until the end of the season, the until the postseason started. It's just half. unbelievable what he was able to do. Uh, and I'm, you know, I was going to stall for time for a second to pull up the exact numbers, but when you look at, you know, when you look at how crazy 
the overall numbers were and how you know look at some of the other metrics around him where his where his left on base percentage was where his BABIP was I mean everything is was so amazing for him and that's when you when you've got a guy people are drafting him right now I mean the aggregate ranking has him at five and I'm see, I've seen him go really high in drafts third but in FBC it's, right now among sorry? starters he's third in NFBC among starters right now as the 19th pick off the board so if you go with I mean if you look at his last to, to see how his overall numbers were, his final 20 starts, a .86 ERA, a 150 batting average on balls in play. That's it's so just, that's how ridiculous everything was. So I like him. I just, I just, I cannot, to me, at the season's end, he is not a top 10 starting pitcher because of the regression you have to build in here. It has to come back down. And if the, the final stretch was amazing. Clearly, he's not the same pitcher he was, but he's being drafted as a number one ace, and I don't think he is there. we got to be real. There's still some injury concern with him. You know, this 229 innings plus the playoffs was great for Arietta, but even in his breakout 2014 campaign, he only made it through 157 innings, and that was a career high to that point. So, you know, I don't think you're questioning the skills. I think you've kind of made that clear. Um, the base skills are going to be there. He's going to strike out guys. He's not going to walk too many. The right. ERA and whip should be good, but are they going to be otherworldly? And I yeah, obviously – you know, I, I, I tend to agree with you. Like I said, I went 11, and I think in my heart I, w- I want to go even lower, but uh, maybe I got a little bit too hung up on the on the ADPs, playing to that a little bit. Once I do all the studying, finish the starting pitcher guide, then I'll I'll feel more confident about my rankings, and I'll go to the mat for them. But even right now, as at 11, I was easily the low guy. Like I said, nobody else went double digits. Brad was up at two, um, kind of seven, eight for Jeff, Dan, and Mike, four for Zach, and then five for Paul K. So everyone's still pretty high on him. I get it, but I, I do think that that there's going to be there has to be some comeback. You know, look what even happened to Corey Kluber. You know, he had a great follow-up campaign, but it was actually still much worse than his season the year before. And part of that was the utter right. bad luck of being six and nineteen, which is just ridiculous. If, even if you just give him like a twelve and twelve record, I right. think it would have really transformed his season. So um, I'm not suggesting that Kluber was bad or anything, but regression happens. You would have never, if I'd told you that Corey Kluber is going to be six and nineteen the year after his uh, Cy Young, you just said that that was so stupid and it can't happen crazy things happen and that it's just baseball uh, i just you can't see an 80 percent left on base rate you can't see a 246 babbitt for arietta those things have to come down even the ground ball rate spiked from 49 to 56 it's right. probably likely to come back into the high 40s uh you get a low 70 low to mid 70s for the left on base rate and even somebody like him who's good at at kind of maintaining a good babbitt 246 is still a little bit too otherworldly i would probably project him closer to 270 280 uh, so yeah, it'll be a good, not amazing year. And Who's I don't your... know why the number, I don't know why, but real quick, I don't know why the numbers are differ between baseball reference and the fan player, the game log, but I, I, I broke down the game log, uh, for him. And over the final 20 starts, you know, the, the batting average on balls of play was two of six. The left on base percentage was 86%, oh which is unbelievable for a starting pitcher. Uh, because, I mean, that's your elite relievers can do that in an amazing year. He allowed two home runs at 147 innings pitched. You know, a .86 ERA, a one ninety four FIP. Yeah, it was amazing pitching. It truly was. But the overall numbers were built on a on something that was very, very pretty. Uh, and then in reality, this this cannot 
cannot be repeated. I just I just think it's you know you just got to fade a guy like that uh, coming off of such a great year because the price is too inflated right now. I just won't pay that price in the market. Now your second guy this hurts my heart. Um, I want to know what you think. What why you're why you're down on this guy? Not that. I don't even really differ that much from the from the uh, aggregate ranking of, of 19 for this guy. I've got him at 17, but what's your deal with Noah Syndergaard? The hair. I'm jealous. Uh, you know what? That's fair. That's a good reason to down somebody in your rankings if you're jealous. That's, you know, you got you to gotta kind of feel the same way about Jacob deGrom then, too. I do. I mean, all those guys. <laughs> it just pisses me off that, you know, they have hair and I don't. Chris Archer, uh, pump, push him down. Oh, definitely. Definitely Chris Archer. Uh, and, and the nickname thing this week was just amazing. But I, my, my thing, my thing about him has been the same, has been the same consistently is just the workload increase. Okay. Is, has been my thing with him. When you look at last year, you know, 2014 worked 133 innings last year, not including the postseason, 180. Um, the pitch counts were up. The innings pitched were up. How much, how much more are they going to let him pitch? I mean, he's going to be, we're talking about a guy that's 23 years old. You know, this, this is still the time that they're watching these guys. How much are they going to let him pitch uh, within a, within a single season? If you're drafting a starting pitcher in the top 20, this is a guy that you're trying to pencil in 200 plus innings. I can't do that with him. I can do that with guys behind him. Cole Hamels, I can pencil in 200 innings. I could pencil him in with Cueto. I could pencil him in with a few other guys. I can't do that with Syndergaard. And if he does get there, I don't know how effective those last 30 innings are going to be. I mean, you, you make a good point. He went from 133 to basically 200. It was 199 when you add up his AAA major leagues and the postseason last year. And so that is a big jump. Uh, one thing I would say, you know, he does have the frame to kind of withstand that. 6'6", 240 looks like the big guy who can handle it. But he also throws the hardest in the league. Um, I think last year his 97.1 was the highest fastball velocity that we had at Fangraphs. You know, and when you throw hard, it's great. It's a great asset, but it also puts you kind of in the in the line of potential injuries. So, yep. you know, I, I really like Syndergaard. He is somebody that I would be taking as an SP two. But um, if it, if I if I kind of missed out on that first run and he and he was the top guy left on my board and I didn't have a pitcher yet. I wouldn't feel great about him as my SP1. If he's my SP2, I feel amazing. Even if, you know, if I'm pairing him with one of his teammates, Matt Harvey or Jacob deGrom, I would be loving that. But as my SP1, I am a little bit more cautious. So I, I understand. I don't fully agree. You know, we're, we're a little bit different there where I, I like him a little bit more than you do. But I understand the concerns. All right, that does it for the starting pitchers. Let's move over to the shortstops, which like you, like you mentioned – it's not great. It's a deeper pool than it's been recently. That's the crazy thing. You mentioned that, you know, you're not loving the pool and that's with it deepening quite a bit. The the influx of young talent has really uh, thickened it up and it's still the thinnest position, I think, on the diamond. There's some star power up front, but uh, outside of the lack of depth, what are your general takeaways when you look at the uh, starting, excuse me, shortstop rankings? Um that I'm not. I don't want to wait too long to get there because you know the lack of depth is, is definitely an issue. I want to see you know a guy like Ian Desmond who's still unsigned. Mm-hmm. I would really want to see where he's going to land. That's gonna. That's kind of like my line. Maybe when I look at Elvis Andrus, I think uh, maybe he's a tick. I see that he's below Kung in the uh, in the aggregate, and I like Andrus a little better, especially because he's going to run uh, well, with, he, with that. He plays. You know, yeah. I'm, I've never been a huge Andrus guy. But he plays. He goes out there. 
and he plays, and that matters. Even when he's not at his best, you're getting a, a, a everyday play from Elvis Andrus. He's running. Um, you know, he's got a little bit of pop. Nothing great. Seven homers last year. You know, scoring runs on on a good team, and that helps because you never want to be dipping into the shortstop free agent pool in June or July because you know it's going to be dry as can be. So I, I definitely. Yeah can understand that particularly when Gung's coming off that injury and we're not even certain that he's going to start the season a hundred percent. And we have two kids and we have two kids in the top five in shortstop or three kids really. When you, when you can factor in Correa, Lindor and Seager Four, if you, could, if you call Bogart's a kid. Yeah. I don't know if I consider Bogart's a kid. You think anymore, a little bit more I'm talking about like a, a year. I'm talking about like a, a, a year or, or less. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Time. Experience and, time. Yeah. Is what you're talking about. Right. Okay. So that's what I, that's kind of I'm looking at. And that's where the depth. And even if you want to, if you go into the top 15, then you've got Marte uh, as well. You go top 20, you got Turner. And so it just, like, there's so much youth in this position, which between a combination of the volatility of youth and the lack of depth in this position, you either, you know, if you don't, reach and go get like a Correa in the first round is going to be gone. Uh, and one of these guys that you, this is really a position you can sit back and wait because I would carry over Brad's position to this. The guys between, I don't know, eight and 18, there's not that much difference between them. When you're talking about fantasy value by the end of the season right now, the way they look. Uh, so th- this is kind of a position that I'm really not terribly concerned with on draft day. So we're going to go one up, one down on on, on shortstop here because there's not quite the depth to really talk about two at each. Um, the guy that you're – pardon me? <laughs> said, no kidding. Oh, at yeah. first, I'm like, why are we only talking about one? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's shortstop. I was, uh, yeah, I was like, I didn't want to make you have to talk about Eduardo Escobar or anything. But the guy that you like, we're actually in lockstep here because if, if you'll notice, I'm easily the high man on your on your uh, favorite. Tell me what you like about Didi Gregorius. Yeah, I didn't even look to see how the rest of you guys ranked him. I was just going down the list and saying, wow, he's down there for a position this for a position this shallow. He's down there. Yeah, I mean, when you look at him, you know, the, the early numbers weren't weren't that great. When you look back, if we look back and say, okay, where was he about middle of the year? Middle of the year, he was hitting 234 with a 286 OBP and 320. So he was pure hot garbage, <laughs> right? But from that point on, he hit 303 with a 358 on base percentage and a 432 slug. He wasn't the empty bat that he had been historically. The defense was there and the offense was there. You got to give this guy a little bit of slack for having to jump into the Jeet's shoes, right? So you, you can understand why his numbers were down in the first half a little bit. A lot of pressure, pressure was on him. Yeah. Second half, you know, I, I watched a lot of his games, obviously, uh, and this was a guy that was not an empty stick. In fact, I was using him a lot uh, in daily. The daily games that I did play, I was using him because he was so dirt cheap so cheap and and you know playing there in yankee stadium and honestly when the yankees got him they spoke pretty glowingly of him and i kind of laughed it off like okay you know he's going to be a much better defender than jeter was you're definitely getting an upgrade there but are you really getting much of a bat and that second half really showed me a a lot of what they were talking about when they were pumping it up granted they're going to pump up their own guy that they trade for but you want to see okay are are they on to anything here and i think they might be with a 26 year old gregorius who's really going to start entering his prime has some to build off of him. Like I mentioned, I was the high man on him. The aggregate had him at 24. I had him at 17. And then everybody else was right around that 24 range, 25, 22, 25, 27, and 26. So I kind of stuck out, but I think he can have double digit pop play every day. That's another thing. The guy can stay on the field and play. Who else are they really going to play at shortstop? So give me 600 plate appearances. I can get 
12, 13, maybe, you know, maybe if things go really well, mid-teens homers, uh, doesn't run a ton. You know, he was only five for eight last year, so not even really getting speed, but the batting average, I think I could get two. You know, if you can get a 280 and 12 home runs, I know that doesn't sound great, but at shortstop and maybe even middle infield, the way he gets drafted, that could really work out. So I was with you on Gregorius for sure. All right, let's talk about the guy that you're lower on. And uh, I think I also agree with you here. Uh, I don't have, you know, I'm not way out of bounds for the other guys, but I was, again, clearly the low guy on your low guy, and that is who? Francisco Lindor. And, you know, this it, This is not because I'm bitter because I cut him before he was called up last year <laughs> Wars, and, and because I had drafted him in the reserve rounds of the draft and none of that. But, again, this gets back to the whole helium uh, price, kind of like Arietta. When you look at... You look at Lindor. Yes, the numbers were amazing, but you know a lot of this. A lot of this came during the final stretch of the season, the final six weeks, and we've talked about the, you know the crappy pitching that's out there in September that a lot of these guys feast up on. But from the last five weeks of the season, he hit 347, 394, and slugged 600, <laughs> 22 Gosh. extra base hits. Six of his 12 home runs came in the final five weeks of the season. You know he was nine for nine in stolen bases. I'm not knocking the running game at all. But when you when you try to look at this guy and say, okay, what's possible here? You know, what's possible in the 2016 season? If this shortstop class were a little deeper, maybe he's not up there. But you can see, I'm looking at the steamer projections: 19 home run, uh, 19 stolen bases, 12 home runs, a 268 batting average, uh, which is about a 50 point drop from where he was uh, prior to. But he kind of got a level set uh, with his with his production because a lot of this was backloaded. A lot of it was against bad pitching um, later in the season. He could be a double-double guy, no doubt about it. And because this position, again, is shallow, this this could happen. Maybe at the end he's the safer of the, you know, Ian. this used to be the Ian Desmond skill set, but he's going to hit for a higher average than Ian Desmond did. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just not going to have the power Ian Desmond had. See, that, that's the thing. You know, you look at Lindor, and when he came up, I remember advocating probably on this podcast, guys, you don't have to rush out and get him. He's a defense-first guy. He might give you some batting average, and he totally blew that out of the water. I couldn't have been more wrong. But I look, and, you know, he had 21 minor league homers and 1,880 plate yep. appearances, and then comes up to the majors and hits 12 homers. And because he's a top prospect, I think a lot of folks don't challenge that. But I think you have to. We challenge that for everybody in baseball when they are way out of their normal range. I think you really have to challenge it here. And, yeah, he could get another 12 homers over the course of 650 plate appearances, though. And and so, I, I again, I'm with you. I had him six. Uh, it was three, 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 two, six, and then four. So, you know, again, I wasn't out there on a total limb or anything, but I was easily the low guy. And again, I don't dislike him. I just want to get a little bit more certainty with some of these guys, even somebody like a Tulo who everybody had uh, Lindor below or Lindor ahead of, I don't know, like I, I totally get the what's up with Tulo in terms of how people feel, you know, the injuries are, are a mainstay with him seemingly. And even in a year last year where he got 534 plate appearances, he was pretty underwhelming with a 102 OPS plus but still 17 homers and 70 ribbies. And even if he plays 128 games again, like he did last year, I think Tulowitzki will out Homer and out ribby uh, Francisco Lindor. And even his 280 average might not be too far off. So I just can't really make a case to take Francisco Lindor ahead of Troy Tulowitzki. So I'm with you. And I, I mean, you and I did this a couple of years ago when we took Bogarts in labor earlier than we were in hindsight should have. Yes. We were early on him and we'll do it again this year, but I think we're, I think we're gonna be right this year, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, I'm, and I'm, I, and I already predicted we were going to do it. I yeah. said uh, we're going to overdraft him again. I think you, we drafted him last year too. You so. already told Steve Gardner, and so he can prepare accordingly. But we're still going to do it because uh, you know this is one where the numbers, in, in terms of Bogarts, this is one where the numbers probably don't tell you what you want what you want to hear in terms of power. You know, everyone's saying, well, where's the power going to come from? I just look at his last year, and it's more of a scouting situation where he's shown the power. Unlike Lindor, Bogarts showed the power in the minors, and it hasn't translated yet. I think last year was a concerted effort to kind of hone his hit tool, go opposite field, go up the middle, get the base hits, have a good two-strike approach, all that sort of stuff that he wanted to hone, put in his tool belt, and now – make it a part of his game in 2016. I don't think that's who he is now, a 320 empty uh, batting average kind of guy. I think now he can be more of a 280 with some more of the power that we saw in 2014. And now we start getting into the mid-teens, an easy double-double. I think the batting average will be there. And then the runs and RBIs that drove Bogarts this year to be the top shortstop, I think they'll be there again this year. There's no reason to believe that the Red Sox won't again have a good offense. And so I love somebody like Bogarts. He was the easy number two uh, for me. And, in fact, he was number two across the board except for Brad, who had Lindor ahead of him. that's fine, but I, I'm going with Bogarts there. I thought he was easy. We have to talk Correa if we're going to talk shortstops, and obviously he's one across the board. We get that, but where are you drafting him? Um, I'm drafting him in the top half of the first round. Okay, of a of a, of a what about of a ten team mixed league? Let's say that because we talk a lot about fifteen team NFBC. Okay, so even so, you would do a top five pick for him after those first three. Uh, do you agree that the first three are, are Bryce, Trout, and, and Goldie in some form? Yes. Okay, and then are you doing Kershaw for, or do you have somebody else? Kershaw. Okay, so those four are pretty much set. We can agree on those. I think a lot of folks do agree on those four. And then you're Correa. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I truly am. Just because I can of hear the, that. Just because of the position. When you look at the position, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really stand out against everybody else. I mean, mm-hmm. He's going to be a 2020 lock. You have to... Unless there's a leg injury, there should be a 2020 lock uh, for him. And he's just going to be so much better than anybody else at this position. He really is. And, you know, I feel like we've been saying it more recently with these young players, like once in a generation. But I think he is the once in a generation shortstop. You know, we got our once in a generation outfielder with uh, with Trout. And I guess, I guess we got one with Harper. So maybe we use that phrase too liberally as a baseball community. Uh, we've got we got it with the pitcher like a Kershaw, uh, like a, a first baseman with with Miguel Cabrera. And I think the shortstop, this is going to be the one the once in a generation kind of guy like Correa. He just is so advanced, so impressed. I don't think you can just extrapolate his 2015 uh, no. you know, 99 games and then do it for 150 and take the numbers there. But you look at something like steamer steamer, uh, you know, again, projection systems are conservative by nature and they project a 21 year old shortstop for a 2020 season. Like I, said, love the fans, though, but I love the fans projection. <laughs> They're a little bit more aggressive with 28 homers, a hundred ribbies, 22 stolen bases, 103 runs. So they got him going 2020, a hundred, a hundred with a 286 average. Can yes. he do it? Yes. Is he likely to do it? <laughs> Not so much, but he's going to have a fantastic season. I do agree. He is a top half first rounder and an easy number one across the board shortstop. Don't totally agree with you there. A couple more guys here. I want to hit on because shortstop, you know, it's, it's an interesting position, even though it doesn't have a ton of depth. 
staying in the upper tier sort of area. Where are you on Corey Seager? Let me tell you first that he was fifth in the composites. Right. Um, a bunch of us had him seven. The high man was Zach Sanders at four. The low man was Jeff Zimmerman at eight. So not too much disparity there. I was one of the sevens, and then Paul Kay had him at six. Where do you sit with Corey Seager? I don't have a problem with the ranking at all. When I first caught, when I first looked to it, I was like, wow, he's high. And then I look behind him. I'm like, eh. yeah, I'm not moving, not moving him down, not moving exactly. him down. I couldn't move him down anywhere. So he's, he's right. He's slotted properly. I mean, when you look at, hopefully he can do what Peterson did last year without the tremendous second half slump and the strikeouts. Yeah. Uh, I think part of failing here, the problem with Seager is that he's coming up behind Correa. So expectations are going to be like, you know, he's, he, he's crushed it in the minor leagues. You know, he, the, Brief sample size looked good last year uh, when he got called up, but he's come, he's playing in Korea's shadow. Uh, yeah, and that's right. the thing. That's the thing with him. You know, if I'm in an NL only league, there's not a chance I'm trading the guy because again, look at the talent behind him in the NL at shortstop and, and, I'll, we'll pause to let you laugh a little bit, but there, there's really nothing else behind him here. So he's not a guy that I'm going to trade. No, I, I definitely agree with you on that point. You'd have to get knocked over with a deal that might even get vetoed. It would be so crazy to try to trade this guy right now. You know, a lot of times it's not a hundred percent, but a lot of times the younger brother is better. When, when, when you got two major league brothers, and I think that's going to be the case. And that's nothing against Kyle Seeger, who is a quality above average, strong player. You know, he can be a first division third baseman. And I think his brother's actually going to be better, which is kind of insane. Um, and that is high expectations. Now, one thing I, I, I would ask, I don't, this might be a little bit crazy, and I will say that there's the one difference is that um, the guy I'm about to bring up never rated as high on the prospect lists as, as Seeger did. But I'm getting a, a tinge of a Brett Laurie feel where we overreacted to those, those 150 oh, plate appearances that he had that were excellent, and he still has not been able to live up to them since. Now, again, it's a different caliber of player, but Seager's also going higher than Lowry is. So if you, if you judge it on scale from where, they, where, the, you know, where they've come from to where they are, I get a little bit of that feeling that 113 plate appearances, which were excellent, and he showed an advanced, really impressive approach, but it was 113 plate appearances. So I agree. I am a little bit nervous, but that said, I think at a position like shortstop, I, I, I'm willing to take the plunge. But that said, I'm going to be getting Bogarts everywhere, so I won't have to worry about the Seager game. Right. You know, a couple sure. other things that stand out stand to me when I look at the aggregate real quick on a couple of these guys, there's a rather large disparity for a guy like Brandon Crawford. Right. And and I, high of six, a low of thirty. And I think Jeff has to has to answer for that. I don't know if he did in the comments. Well, somebody yet. has him a twenty eight too, so it's not like Jeff's really out of the out of the range because he's not out there on a limb. Oh, somebody yeah, else actually, has him a twenty eight. It was Jeff and Dan, and somebody did ask for them to explain. Now Dan hasn't. Uh, oh yeah, he did. He did get in there. Hang on. Um, okay. Both guys have answered for it, so I, I I will point out what their comments are. You know, Catman says. Have a really hard time understanding the disparity in rankings. I'd be interested in hearing what Jeff and Dan uh, explain how he is so low. Jeff says he doesn't believe in the home runs at all. He sees 10 homers, five stolen bases, and a 250 average. Not a top fantasy option. Better real-life player than fantasy option. I obviously don't agree, uh, but Dan Schwartz has him. He said, I would use 13 and 14 as benchmarks. 60 runs, 15 homers, 60 ribbies, five stolen bases, 250 is almost a ceiling. I still don't know how you get 28 and 30 out of that, though, even if you're not super high on him. I just 
again, I, I, I obviously completely disagree uh, with where they're coming from. I'm, I'm a Crawford fan. Crawford was a guy that I, you know, I'm, I'm almost say I was on early last year. I, I thought I, I kind of beat the beat the jump there. Didn't necessarily see 21 bombs out of him, but I thought he was going to be upper teens bombs and one of these guys that plays every day because of his defense. And again, at shortstop, I never want to have to go into the free agent pool. So I was getting a guy like this who I could just lock in and forget it. And of course, he delivered the big season. So do you think there's more than 21 homers uh, potential? Or is this, you know, low twenties kind of what we're going to be getting out of Crawford? I don't think there's, I don't think there's more there for him. I, okay, that, and that's fine. I mean, he doesn't. Right. That's, that's the beauty, you know. At shortstop, you do twenty eighty again, you're still going to be a top six, top five uh, sort of guy there. One other guy I want to question, actually two, um, Starling Castro. Now I was huge on him last year, and it did not work. But I'm going right back to the well because I like, uh, not necessarily change of scenery because I don't think he was, you know. Joe Madden, even when you're not performing well, I don't think Joe Madden is tearing you a new one. I think, if anything, he's really trying to build him up. So I don't think it was a poison, toxic atmosphere, especially the way Castro finished the season. But that ballpark, you know, Wrigley Stadium, Wrigley Field is nice, especially when the wind's blowing out. But that Yankee Stadium, that you can really get some damage done there. I like Castro to bounce back off of the uh, ugly 2015. What say you about him? Uh, I'm in agreement, even though you almost went Jeff Gordon and called it Wrigley Stadium. Uh, did he actually say that? He did. Uh, yeah, I mean, I when I, he was I, there to do the the uh, the uh, seventh inning stretch. Thankfully, Welcome I was Stadium. Thankfully, I wasn't there calling it Wrigley Stadium. But yes, I did almost say that. Like, an, I had Yankee Stadium on the brain. I was talking <laughs> yes, too fast. Well, I'm forgiving sure. you. Uh, right. Yeah, one of the things with with him, I think the running game can come back because he's still young. And, and you really, in last year. Yeah, I'm surprised that the, the stolen base opportunities did not happen. I mean, he only attempted 10. He was five for five. And it's not like I could see under under Madden where he's like, look, dude, you are uh, 18 of your last 33 in stolen bases. So I'm I'm going to stop running you. Maybe Girardi gives him a, another chance. Be like, look, dude, try it again. Because, I mean, that is a pretty abysmal 50% conversion rate on stolen bases. Brutal. is abysmal. Yeah. abysmal for him but, for a guy but he wasn't even if you look back to his last 25 stolen base year he got caught 13 times that year too mm-hmm. perhaps the new league perhaps a new league that can happen will help him with stolen bases i mean the thing is i don't know how much upside we have i mean the 292 batting average he's hit 307 one year 300 292 and then he's been all over the place so his batting average truly has been everywhere it and it has. hasn't really it hasn't been much batting average on balls and play driven either it's just been a little bit of all over the place and the hard contact really wasn't there last year compared to what it was. So at, at 25, 26, he's done just about everything on the spectrum. So which version are you going to get this year? That's the, that's what worries me with him. I still believe in the potential that it's there somewhere because he's done it, but at the same time, he's done just about everything else too. And that's what scares me. That's true, but one one good thing about it is that he is a little bit of poison in the market. So there are some folks that are 100% out. You're going to get in a league uh, of you know 15 teams, and there are going to be six teams that will not draft him, and then uh, probably another four others who are like, eh, we'll see how how low it gets, and then maybe he'll have some believers. If I'm in a league with you, I will be one of those believers. I like the second and short eligibility as well. Granted, it probably won't move him off a of short, but it's always nice to have flexibility. I just think. That, uh, you know, you got a guy with six full years under his belt, and he's just about to be 26. He's run the gamut. I think the power actually could be the unexpected source. If the if the speed doesn't come back, 
I honestly could see 20 bombs. I was I was talking about that last year, uh, and it didn't come to fruition. But I'm I'm staying the course with Starlin Castro. I really do like him. And then the last guy at shortstop I'll ask you about before we get into a couple of emails is Cattell Marte. Now this is a guy that I was very easily the low man on. He ended up as the 14 um, in the aggregates with Jeff at 15, Zach as the high man at eight, four, <laughs> four, 14 and 11 uh, for Dan and Brad. And then I was at 25 and Paul K was at 10. By the way, the shocker comment is because of uh, the, where Zach lives and his fan allegiance that yes. I believe him. Although he is numbers only. So maybe but still, but, but that said, Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You look at what he did last year, and it was a 247 plate appearances. It looks nice. 283, 351, 402. I don't buy it. I especially don't buy the 10% walk rate. Why on earth would you walk this guy when you can knock the bat out of his hand? I just don't see what all the fuss is about. Now, Brad is pretty high on him. Brad said uh, his his reason for kind of loving him is more of a scouting take, and maybe that's uh, maybe maybe I got to listen to him there a little bit because I feel the same way about Bogarts. But I also have the the numbers on my side with Bogarts because he did it in the minors. We've never seen Cattell Marte hit for any power. I don't see where any pop is going to come from. It's going to be an empty batting average if it's any good anyway. There's going to be some speed, but whatever. What do you think of Cattell Marte? You know, my first thought when you look at the 10% walk rate for him last year was like, okay, was he batting in front of Mike Zanino last year? But he wasn't. He, he was <laughs> we in, love taking shots at I Zanino. I love taking shots at Mike <laughs> Zanino. Uh, but so, so he was hitting leadoff. So perhaps that's, you know, he's like, okay, I'm going to go up there and take pitches. It's really tough to evaluate, you know, hitters especially with Seattle because of the environments they come up in. They spend the time in AAA in Calgary. I mean, he had roughly 370 no, plate appearances. Or Tacoma, sorry. I'm thinking the old days. I'm thinking yeah. Mickey. Harold Reynolds. Michael's dad. Yeah, Michael's dad, Mickey Brantley, played in Calgary. <laughs> uh, so when you look at I mean, he had about 375 plate appearances there, and he got on base there. So he's demonstrated the ability to get on base. He's had a, uh, you know, his walk rate was good. I mean, and, and AAA, it was around 8% if you balance it out. So it's about 8%. So it was good down there. And he's a high contact guy. So, you know, that kind of slapping, he's just got to, for him, he's got to continue to get on base so he can use steals because that's his value. His value is going to be, as long as he hits leadoff, runs, steals, and batting average. If he can slap it and use his speed, three-category guy, and he's got the potential to get up there. When you look at in the aggregate, you've got him at 14 right now. You could... You can make a case for him being a top 10 guy when the season's all said and done if if things work out his way. But the problem is if he doesn't hit, he doesn't steal, and all of a sudden he's out of, now he's out of the top 25. Yeah, and, and again, I'm just not a believer. We'll see how it goes. He's 11 on NFBC rankings right now, so the, the market is kind of believing in him. Part of that is definitely the uh, thinness of the position, but also that impressive 247 plate appearances with that OBP, I think, has some folks uh, seeing, you know, with stars in their eyes about what the stolen bases could be if he maintained a 350 OBP all year. I just don't see it for Cattell Marte. All right, let's get a couple of emails, and then we'll go ahead and wrap up here. Zach emails us talking about some young arms. He says, hey, guys. Curious what kind of year you expect from some of the young pitchers who looked promising last year and will get a full season in 2016, uh, including but not necessarily limited to Carlos Rodon, Luis Severino, and Rysel Iglesias. Well, we already talked about Rodon. You briefly mentioned Severino, and hopefully he already knows the love that we have for Iglesias. So I want to hone in specifically on Severino here. 
And you only you only mentioned him in passing because he was really low, and and you're like you know even a guy that low you're still getting some pretty good upside. What do you think of Severino? He had a great sample last year, but it was small. What can he do over a full season for the Yanks? I mean, I'd like the stuff. You got it's one of the things if if you're looking to kill some time while you're waiting for the snow to melt, uh, especially you guys live in the Northeast, you know, go back and watch some Severino video. I mean, you watch the stuff. You know, it, it's got a lot of life to it, and that's mm-hmm. what I really like about watching him pitch. A lot of life, and he can really keep it low in the zone, and. Now you got to now you look at the bullpen he's going to have behind him eventually at some point, so he's not going to have to stay out there. You know, I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, where maybe you pull him up, maybe you don't leave him out there that ex, that batter too long. Exactly. You pull him back in. Now he's going to pitch down towards the uh, the bottom of this rotation, uh, and so with upside right now he's in the 50s in the aggregate. I could see him being a top 50 if everything breaks right. The stuff is definitely there for him. It's just the command because that stuff does have so much life. It's just a matter of making sure that the command is there because there's been some times where he can dominate through a lineup and other times where he struggled to locate. Uh, and you you expect that kind of inconsistency from a guy, especially someone who's just 20. He's going to turn 22 here uh, next month. Credit to the Yankees. They, they, they didn't make. They didn't go out and make the move saying that Severino was going to be their move, and he was. You know, a 2.89 ERA uh, for for 62 innings and 11 starts. That really worked out for them. I will say, 1.3 homer per nine rate is a little bit alarming. 17% homer to fly ball rate. It maybe that'll regress, bring the homers down. But you do have to be cognizant of that, particularly in the park that I just uh, you know praised as being a good park for Starlin Castro. It can also hurt the pitchers. Masahiro Tanaka is very familiar with that. So. Again, Zach, thanks for the email. Uh, hopefully, uh, Rodon was covered earlier, and then, like I said, Rice Iglesias. We've been we've been gushing all over him the whole offseason, so hopefully, uh, you, you kind of understand where we are with him. Plus, that piece I wrote on ten wide awake sleepers uh, included both Iglesias and Severino. So yeah. I do think that the market is going to be aggressive on them, and if you want them, you're going to have to pay up. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't mean you can't get them, but they will have to perform to earn their draft stock. Next email is from Justin, and again, it's focusing on pitching. It's about you, Darvish. He says, realistically, what round in a snake draft would you target you, Darvish? It's a 12-team head-to-head points league. We have several DL spots, so stashing him would not be an issue until he returns. Now, Jason, there is a situation here with the uh, head-to-head points league. You and I openly do not have a ton of experience with it. Now, I started the Towers of Power uh, draft that we have the head-to-head points league that we have for that that's really my only experience right now with it so that's a situation where i don't have a ton of experience i know that pitching definitely is favored more in head-to-head points leagues you definitely want that high impact pitching where you can get it but for me with darvish it's a situation where i'm I'm not necessarily targeting him and that hurts my heart because i absolutely adore darvish he's one of my favorite pitchers in all baseball but the tommy john returns i just I don't like to mess with them. Look what, look what happened with Fernandez last year. He was brilliant when he pitched, but the prices that people paid for 11 starts or whatever he ended up – yeah, it was 11 starts because yeah. he ended up getting hurt in the midst of the uh, of the return. I just – I don't want to mess with it, and I think people are getting very aggressive on Darvish. I was way off the board uh, with the rest of the guys. He ended up as a 38 composite, and that was really skewed by where I had him. 30th, 21st, 36th. 68th, 26th, 
I was at 74th and then Paul K at 23rd. So uh, who is that with me on him? Uh, Mike Podhorser. And uh, again, probably Mike does his stuff based on numbers and the fact that Darvish didn't pitch obviously would hurt him. So we're being a lot more conservative there. Everybody else being aggressive. Where do you come out? I, you know, but to that point, he was also Mike was also very aggressive with Iwakuma, considering the issues with him. He had about twenty, and that kind of stood out to me too. That's where true. you've got where you've got Iwakuma at twenty three, but then you've got Darvish at sixty eight. Personally, I don't see them that far apart. I, no, I don't um, want. I really don't want either of them. Um, you know, at, to your point, he had surgery in mid March of last year. So there's a outside chance that he would be ready to make the opening day roster. Now, how effective he's going to be, yeah, I don't know. Aggressive. That would be really aggressive for that to happen. But effectiveness, I mean, when you look at some of the guys behind him on the aggregate here, uh, you know, the guys I could take ahead of him. Uh, I'll say this. Taiwan Walker. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Taiwan Walker ahead of him. Iglesias ahead of him. Chen ahead of him. Zimmerman ahead of him. McHugh ahead of him. Uh, so these are some of the names that are below him in the aggregate that I would take over him because I know you know, on paper, I should be able to get six effective months out of these guys. There's going to be some bumps in the road, but I know they're going to be ready for opening day unless something happens between now and then to them. Whereas Darvish may not be ready. He may not be able to go deep in the game. So early on, and the command's the last thing that comes for these guys. And, and the already, command is something he needs. Yeah, exactly. He already struggles with it at times when you know he's trying to get those chases. The walks will, the walks will kind of jump up. It's not that, that Darvish is bad, uh, 8% walk rate in 2014. That's a, that's passable, especially with everything else that he does, but 10% the year before and 11% the year before that, I think he's going to be more in that double digit range, at least immediately upon return. And again, I tell you what, I'd love to be wrong on this one. And and there's sometimes where you got to rank a guy with your brain, but then your heart, you know, wants, wants it to right. go the other way. That's one of those cases. I would love to be dead wrong. And that he, you know, comes back in mid April and just dominates for five and a half months. I will gladly tip my hat to the guys who were aggressive on him. Getting back to Justin's question specifically, though, if you're in a 12-team head-to-head league, I do think you can gamble a little bit more. I, I, like I said, I'm not necessarily targeting him, but in a league that does favor pitching like a head-to-head points league, I do think you can afford to be a little bit more aggressive. I'm trying to pull up where he's going right now, at least in the uh, NFBC, which is definitely a way different format. He's the 33rd pitcher off the board. I don't know that he'll be too different from that range in your uh, head-to-head points league. So if you want to take him there, I would want to have stability in front of him. I wouldn't want to also be taking Syndergaard and um, you know trying to think of some of the riskier guys that are up at the top. You know he's not risky from a skill standpoint, but maybe from a health standpoint. Somebody like a um, oh God, I'm totally blanking on a name. I'm gonna bail out on coming up. Oh Strasburg, Strasburg, duh, I'm an idiot. So you know <laughs> if you if you had Strasburg and Syndergaard, you feel good with them as your one two, but I don't think you want to go Strasburg, Syndergaard, um, you know somebody else, and then Darvish. I, I think that would be too much risk at that point. But if you're a little bit more stable, uh, maybe maybe you open the draft uh, with Kershaw, okay? You know, and and then you don't take your second pitcher for a little while, and you wind up with Garrett Richards, and that's your one-two punch. And then you come right back with Darvish. That I'd be okay with because even if it, even if he doesn't pan out, which is what, where I'm currently leaning on Darvish, twelve-team head to headley, you can replace him. So I, I'm I'm okay being a little bit more aggressive, but by and large, my general theory with him and with TJ returners in general is I tend to shy away. I let somebody else take them. Same. 
All right. Well, that's going to do it for the baseball portion. If you, if you don't want to hear us talk a little off topic, you can go ahead and turn it off. But you shouldn't because it's going to be cool. Not really. It's like only going to be a couple minutes talking about movies. Just want to know, Jason, have you seen any movies lately, whether in the theater or at home with the fam? All right. So I, I hate movie theaters. If you oh. haven't heard me, because I, I hate people in movie theaters. Yeah, you know yeah, the yeah. people that that talk on their cell phones. Absolutely. Don't shut off their damn ringers. I am anno- I hate those people. So I've I rarely go to the theaters. The last three movies that I've seen at the theater were Trainwreck, uh, New Star Wars, and the Peanuts movie with my kids. Hey, hey, uh, how was that? I liked it. I'm a it, it was entertaining. Fan, I, I actually liked that. And I don't usually watch a lot of movies at home because I am typically distracted working on something for work or writing something for here. I usually do a lot of documentaries. Like right now on Netflix, I'm watching World War II in color. When I'm not watching Parks and Rec, if I want to like get my learning on, I watch World War II in color. But I don't really sit down and watch TV for that long of a uh, span to watch movies. But I am very uh, – I usually wait until things come out, and then I'll watch it at home. Now, I think we've had this discussion before uh, because your point is well taken about basic clown movie theaters. I agree with you. But Dana and I only go to the Alamo Draft House, which is a fantastic theater. Uh, you know, it's like it, it's it's a, it's a cut above. It's right. it's not it's not for the noobs. Uh, you can eat there; it's great. Uh, you, can, you can have some drinks if you'd like. It's just a different atmosphere. Now, every once in a while, there are some douches there, but by and large, you're getting a better experience, and you're paying for it too. It's not it's not obscene, but it's definitely going to be a little bit more than your Tinseltown or, or your right. run of the mill Cinemark. We have so, Cinnabar. We have Cinnabar here. Um, and they've been good. I mean, like I saw Star Wars on a matinee for seven fifty person. See that works. Uh, and I think it was six fifty for my kids. All four of us went, and then uh, you know dinner. I think we we're out the door for like sixty bucks with movie and 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 eating there and everything. So Cinnabar is cool. That's really the only theater I go to. The the Peanuts was at the discount. There's a discount theater around here that's old man. It's got, it doesn't even have the stadium seating. It, it's oh, like yeah. a, almost a flat. It was more like a like a, a concave a little bit. Like the middle <laughs> of the floor was the lowest part Sunk and it got down. higher. That was a little weird. I haven't been in a theater like that in a while. All of a sudden we sat in the middle. I was like, what the hell is this? It's built on um, a sinkhole and it's slowly. Uh, it closed for a month. Well, here's the thing: it closed for a month, and if somebody said, "Oh, we can't do this anymore," then they re- somebody else reopened it. And I go in there, and so we paid three dollars a movie ticket to go see Peanuts. And there were a couple other movies that were not not too old that were in there, but like the food is the same price. So I'm like, okay. Wait, what? I'm like, I'm not paying seven dollars for a bucket of popcorn to no. a three dollar movie. No, can't do it. Can't do it. Cannot pay. More than 2x for the popcorn than you did for the ticket. Again, you, you mentioned Cinnabar. The, these theaters are popping up, and they're, 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 you know, they're trying to emulate the Draft House, which has actually expanded outside of Texas now. you got yeah. Arizona, California, Colorado, Louisiana, Michigan, Missouri, Nebraska, New York, and Virginia. They're popping up. They're great. If you're near one, I really recommend them. I understand people who don't want to go to the basic theaters with the clowns. It, it, it is it is a pain in the butt, but I love going to the theater uh, at Alamo Draft House. I actually took in The Big Short yesterday and really enjoyed it. Who's I did not um, – everybody. <laughs> Brian Gosling, Stephen uh, – Steve, Stephen, Steve Carell, um, Christian Bale, uh, Brad Pitt. You might have heard yeah. of that guy. Really good movie. Oh, you said you were kidding? No, I said you weren't oh. kidding. Oh yeah, no, no. speaking of movie stars though, somebody I was in Boston this week for work and I was my, my boss was sitting down, so I came in and joined him. I was in a black leather jacket and I sat down and like the server walked over to me, like, like walked around and looked at me like I, I like I know that guy and I was like, Can I help you? And she goes, Oh, I thought you were Jason Statham. <laughs> 
damn, I have a little more hair than that dude, but okay, thanks. (laughs) He might, he might have a little bit, actually, you know what? And I, you know, the movie magic can make him look normal height, but I bet you're probably a foot taller. He strikes me as one of those guys who is way shorter than he appears on, on TV. I could be wrong on that one, but he does strike me as one of those who is a, a good bit shorter than, than when you see him kicking everybody's ass on screen. It says he's 5'10", but yeah, she thought I'd look like Jason Statham, and she found a picture on her phone. I'm like, okay, from the side profile, maybe. And you do yeah, have more hair. This whole look around her face, like she turned around and looked like, was like circling me. I'm like, what the hell's going on? She's like, oh, God, I thought it was Statham. You know, listen, it's going to work the same for actors as it does for athletes. If you're listed 5'10", then you're 5'7". So don't 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 quote me the listed. I know Altuve's listed at like 5'7", 5'8". We know he's like 5'2". So don't quote me on that. But yeah, uh, the movie was really good. It's about the housing crisis. Um, they really do a good job of, of, of making it understandable because it's some really, you know, in-depth stuff in terms of, uh, you know, how it all works and and the credit swaps and all the mortgages I, I didn't know much going in but i thought they did a really good job explaining it and i liked it so much that i immediately downloaded michael lewis's audiobook upon which the movie is based and i will be listening to it over the next you know couple of nice. weeks so i definitely recommend that movie and that's it jason We're i'll done. just say the other, the other reason i'm not jason statham is because i never would have left kelly brook ever that's, uh, I, I hear you. I hear you. But isn't he with uh, Rosie Huntington? Yes. He just got engaged. Whatever? So congrats Absolutely. to the new couple. Congrats to them. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think Statham, no matter what, uh, he's doing all right. He's doing all right. But I hear you. You don't. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you wouldn't have left her. But he did. He moved on. He's doing other things. He is still kicking everybody's ass in every movie, though. I do like Jason Statham, so that's not oh, a bad. Wait a minute. Was criticized by TV viewers and domestic violence groups after laughing about punching two ex-boyfriends in the face. No, I would have left her. Sorry. Whoa, that's that, that was the, the Kelly Brook girl? Yes. Yikes. Yeah. That's, nope. that's not good. Oh, and you know, Statham was trying to, you know, he's going to transport her somewhere after getting punched in the face. He's he not having that. All right. We're going to wrap that up then. Thought that was a pretty great episode. We'll be back next week. Uh, you and I on Sunday, Jason, uh, Eno and I, two times next week. Might have a guest episode. If you didn't get a chance to check that out, go listen to the episode with Mike Petriello. We're going to be doing more guest episodes. Don't forget to email us, sleeperpod at gmail.com. You can get your email read. Again, we're looking for more general questions. You can send your keeper questions. I may or may not answer it. Chances are it won't make the show. You're better off getting those answered on Twitter, though. If they're quick hitters about, you know, you got five, pick three, things like that, we can get those done on Twitter. Jason, have a great week. I'll talk to you next Sunday. Yep. 